everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Rising. So yesterday, the House passed a $1.5 trillion omnibus spending package, over half of which could go to the Pentagon and Department of Defense, and $13.6 billion of which will serve directly as aid to Ukraine. House Democrats more than doubled what the Biden administration originally requested in emergency assistance for Ukraine. $6.5 billion will go to the Pentagon for military assistance, and about $6.7 billion will be sent as humanitarian aid and economic aid. House Democrats were forced to drop over $15 billion in emergency COVID relief from the package over disputes on how to pay for it. Even before the pandemic aid was slashed, Jamal Bowman tweeted, quote, late into the night, House leadership finally gave us text for a spending bill that invests more in defense and military than in our communities. The bill now awaits the Senate's approval. Uh, this was their last shot to get this kind of this extra boost of COVID money through. And it sounds like they are, well, I mean, doesn't sound like it, they blew it. I mean, here we are just funding more foreign wars. I mean, this is what this sounds like. We just can never invest in the American people. We never seem to be able to get the money on our own shores being spent here to build up America, however you want to build it up. And instead, we're just giving money away to the Defense Department. We ended a war thinking, great, now's the time. Finally, we're ending these foreign right. wars. We can invest in America. And yet, what do we do? We're giving money to Ukraine. They doubled the amount of money that Biden asked for. Uh, and then they're giving all this money to the Defense Department, and they're saying more is on the way for Ukraine as well. So we can't invest in America. Well, the funny thing about our defense budget is that it just it feels like it's a retainer. Like you have this the biggest military in the history of the world on retainer. Right. You ever want to do anything? Oh, that's going to be extra. Right. Oh, you thought the <laughs> eight hundred you thought the eight hundred billion dollars a year would create a nimble enough organization that if we need to move here, we need to do this, that we could find well, we're actually, the well, we're, $6 billion. We're not actually no. using the military part of right. our military because we're not doing a direct war right. with Russia, right? But, we're not using we the guns and the we, planes. We, we we, we're going to give it to them, maybe. And then, give, it right. Ukraine, give it to but, them, and then they're giving it over there. Yeah. But it's like, for $800 billion a year, you should be able to get you know, a little operation here or there. You would think. This no. is the nature of government. It's never no, enough. Everything's extra. It's everything's never enough. Every war is a la carte. Yep. And, and, and these, the government agencies will complain about, oh, no, we're being cut. Our budget's being cut, even though all that means is they, got like a, they still got like a 3% budget increase, and then next year they get a 2% increase. No, our budget's being cut. No, you just got a, a smaller percentage increase. That happens routinely. Well, they, they use an ungodly amount of fuel in the military. Yeah. Estimates $20 billion, $30 billion. That's, that doesn't count that the estimate is maybe 80 billion is spent just basically guarding global oil infrastructure. But so when the gas bill comes next year, you know, that's going to that's going to be another, you know, 10, 20 billion that they're going to request on top of what they. And the irony of that requesting. is that where are we getting the gas for these big for these vehicles that the military needs to use? So that that is going directly back into the pocket of Russia and other places. Right. Well, not next OPEC. year. Yeah. So Although, just, but it's a global market, so eventually. Sure, but yeah. it's still, I mean, when they raise yeah. the prices, and if we're using that much yeah. because we're fighting a war, then we're just giving them the money to help fight the war against us. I mean, it doesn't make any actual sense. Right, because we say both things. We say oil is a global market, which it is, and then we say we're banning Russian imports. Russian imports, the most, act, the most recent estimate is something like 8% yeah. of our imports. Apparently, it's actually less than that because over the last three months or so, a lot of a lot of American energy companies have been quote self-sanctioning. So maybe it's down to four percent. But right, they'll end up selling it somewhere else at a higher price, right? Because the, because the global market is being uh, shaken by this invasion. Well, I'm totally unwilling to spend more money on defense on all that stuff. But I, I 
Not so sad to see the demise of further COVID relief spending. What, what, what is that? COVID is it's over. What, what is the relief? What, what do we need to do? It's an emer emergency. I like that they call it emergency. We're two years in. Well, we don't really know yet. I mean, we still haven't. We're now coming out of a wave, of course, but we go back into waves. So we don't really know for them to just say, well, no, it's over and gone. And, you know, believe me, I would like it to be over and gone as well. But fall is still is on the horizon and they over. should be. If, well, they should still be. There's a lot of people who are still be very uncomfortable. Right. And those people should have the choice to be able to protect themselves. And that is something that the government should be investing in, like N95 masks and other no, measure, other things no, to help. I don't the people. Agree. No, they people, can I mean, buy your own. To. There's enough of them out there. Well, they, you don't need ramping up production in order to do that. And that's but something if, if they need we had to be a, doing. If we you want to live in a bubble the rest of your life, I'm not going to subsidize it via, <laughs> via government. Sorry. Go enjoy your life. But a, a real actual thoughtful forward looking approach might be to say, look, uh, we're, we're, we have a massive nursing crisis coming out of this COVID pandemic. In like, what way? That uh, people are fleeing. Like, oh, the profession. Yes. Freeing the prof yeah. Oh, right. Like right. people are right. fleeing the profession. Yeah. People that were going to get into it are not getting into it. People who uh, were you know, going to make an entire career out of it, uh, got out of it. People retired early. We, we need a lot more nurses. Right. Uh, I mean, it's a good we, point. We should be putting the money there. Education so, towards getting people like, right. into the field. Like well, the free education, if you want to become a nurse, like what, what better sure. way to make a better society? Right. Say, you know what? If you want to go to nursing school, we've, we've got it. As a society, we've got it because we desperately need you to do this very selfless thing for us. We need doctors, too, but we need tort reform. Yes. If we well, we would doctors. need more medical schools also, and they would have to <laughs> relax maybe the way we that did. They... We make it prohibitively, it's prohibitively expensive. That, that's to why Cuba a has uh, so many good doctors that they, because of isn't, tort reform. Isn't, uh, no, I'm, but I'm always hearing from my lefty friends how great the Cuban medical yeah. system actually, is. Right? They have tort so, reform. It's actually yeah. a really good medical system. Can't, can't I think sue. it's actually not. You can't though. really sue. Yeah. You, Cuba has a very good. Trial lawyers lobby, not very strong in Cuba. So Yeah, that sounds like my place. I mean, look, I think overall when it comes to this bill, and what they're putting into it. I think all of us are sympathetic for the Ukrainians, right? I mean, we feel bad. We want to do Absolutely. something. Yeah. More than sympathetic. I'm outraged. I want them to defeat Russia for all time. Right. And However you feel about it, um, you know, I, I think everybody can be sympathetic towards them for yeah. sure. But the question then becomes, do we then send aid? Do we send American dollars over there? Is this right. what we're going to be using our tax dollars to go towards rather than all of these other things. And we could debate all of the other things that we could be using the money to go for. But it just seems in this country, there's a never ending crisis abroad. And that is what we're always putting money mm -hmm. towards. And it's one, we, you know, we shut down one and we think now's the time and we just move on and we put the money somewhere else because there's another crisis. And if it wasn't Ukraine, I mean, we could be sending this to Yemen. I mean, there's many other places that are at war. Afghanistan and and it's, a, it's a boy who cried wolf problem because, okay, maybe now, maybe you gotta, okay, this time you actually have one of the world's superpowers, a nuclear dangerous superpower attack, invading with, with no provocation, invading its neighbors, a sovereign country. This is a very, very bad crisis. But because, yeah, this is the real wolf. But all the other crisis. things, we, but, right, and we, we had to spend state? on everything well, else. Know, and if, if it's a client state, that's, isn't that the responsibility of an empire? But anyway, go ahead. And yeah, that's, that's all I'm saying. It's, and that's it's the bad. problem, right, is that we have how many of those? We have dozens. More than that. I would say over 100. Oh, it's hard to find good clients nowadays. <laughs> we, we go to Saudi Arabia, we're like, yeah. Your one job. We need. You more. had one we, job. We need more you oil. Had one job. No. And they're like, yeah, you know what? I think we're going to not do that because Russia's kind of nice to us too. Ugh. Another proxy war that we're just going to blow all of our money on. So there we go. We're going to have the MMT people uh, 
coming after you for calling it taxpayer dollars. Look out. Well, whatever you want to call the it. MMT reply so guys that's, are going to be the all money over printer Kim. go burr people. Yeah, they say that there's it's not taxpayer dollars. Right. It's just created by the government. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Go get not, it. Not well. <laughs> all right, we'll have more rising coming up right after this. Preparing for takeoff anytime soon? Well, you're going to have to keep your masks on for now. Yesterday, the TSA announced a mask mandate extension. It was about to expire, but they can never let anything expire. So it's back on until at least April 18th. Mandatory masking on planes, uh, trains, buses, subway system, all public transportation. Actually, according to the TSA, it was the administration and the CDC who directed the TSA to extend the mandates another month. <sighs> I'm just... So pleased about this. So pleased. Um, no, this is your favorite thing. The, and, to... you, and on the metro, you can't, like on a plane, you can get around it by eating and drinking. Right. Which is hilarious because it's like, does the COVID take a break <laughs> while you're eating and drinking? No. Uh, but on the metro, you can't even eat or drink. So, mm. Although in, in truth, on the metro, no one is going to enforce it That's because true. the people who work for the metro are miserable or just terrible. They're, like, not, pa- they're not paid to... In, you you can jump that. the turnstile. You can. You don't have to pay. You <laughs> can. Not like you you can be like organizing a, <laughs> a, a hit on someone. You can. They're not going to do anything. Right. Because also that, you that, can literally stab someone. It happens on occasion on the metro. That can get right because that gets into law enforcement. And I think a lot the, the metro employees. I, you, you see people jumping the turnstile, and the metro employees are like, "That's not my job." I, I, the metro and employees I don't aren't even wearing masks half the time. Right. But I also don't blame them because if it, let's say that they confront oh, somebody who's jumping a turnstile. They're not trained to like right. deal with like some criminal right. interaction here, so it's like all right. yeah. So in, in practice, you don't have to wear on the. You're supposed to, but it's not enforced. The planes, however, we all know it is militantly enforced. Right, militantly enforced. And do you know what this also means? Probably what that you won't be able to get alcohol on your flight still until the mask mandate. No, you can get alcohol on flights. No, I couldn't get alcohol on my. So it de- some airlines. I couldn't get food or alcohol ordered. Some airlines you can. Maybe it is. I, maybe it is none of them. I usually do my drinking in the airport before the flight. Um, <laughs> Some of them you can order still. I you think, can't bring alcohol flight. onto the no, you onto the flight. You're never allowed to do that. But I think right. some of the airlines. When I just flew, I, I flew American to get out here. Actually, you flew American. And, yeah, yeah, and there was no food or drink. For I, I mean, five they, hours. They, yeah, they get they. There was no food. I mean, they had. There's no drink at all. Well, they had cokes right. and waters, yeah, yeah, but you yeah. couldn't order oh, any no. alcohol. Oh no, booze. Yeah, so yeah. you couldn't have a glass of wine on the flight, and you couldn't order any food on the flight. And when I asked them about that, they said it was because of, well, I mean, this was an unofficial answer. So this was not like an American Airlines official. But they were saying, well, it was because of unruly passengers, because of the mask mandates. And so they didn't want. Oh, love uh, yeah. So they don't want them drunk on Extra top of. Extra unruly. Right. I'm just yeah. going to say it. The terrorist one. Like, this is, this is ridiculous. Like, we live under, like, Sharia law to fly on airplanes. It's totally it's basically ridiculous. Imagine. It's at, at basically April, I Sharia believe law. it'll end. I do think I don't, it could end now. It could end at any... So we, they had that hearing where the airline CEOs explained that the air filtration on the plane is as good or better than in an ICU. Uh, One of them had COVID, but do you remember that? Did he have COVID? One of the, the airline time? CEOs was positive at the time. Well, he could have maybe got on a plane. Maybe hopefully he, got he didn't. Hopefully other, he didn't. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe he did and everybody was okay because they're vaccinated or smiles. Oh, like, let's you know, just never move on. 
It does seem, I mean, I hear that the air goes through very quickly and yeah. that they constantly are re, uh, what do they do? They pump new Recirculating air. Recirculating it, yeah. Right, and they, they flush it out and put new air in. Um, like every couple of minutes even, it's, it's supposed the to be The worst pretty... is when you're on the ground. Yeah. And they're not circulating it. I and think that might. everybody's sweating and angry. Right. And so I wonder if they've ever, I mean, I don't think anyone's ever conducted a study to find out. Are you likely to get COVID while being on a plane? Flying, but on, I a kind plane. Of think Flying on a plane just would. gets more and more and more miserable. And th- so this is why I, I worried this actually the mask would never go away on the planes because we still do all the stupid 9-11 related stuff. It's 20 right. years later and we all know it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make us any safer. They've studied it numerous times that you can sneak all sorts of contraband through airport security. That there's not that having liquids over four ounces doesn't do any that they're not going to explode they're the taking the shoes off and the belt like all of that the whole theater the whole production is for nothing it's for no reason you could i would eliminate it would be the first thing of the government i would eliminate when i had the magic elimination pen it would be the tsa <laughs> gone. and it's not even consistent gone. that's the thing that drives me the most crazy about it's not consistent stuff. anymore yeah. whether you take Sometimes your laptop out and if there's the dog yeah. then you don't have to take off your shoes if, if you have dogs, a dog, you don't well, have to take off your shoes? the dog sniffs. Yeah, when, you go, when I go through... Oh, the edge, I thought if you brought a dog. No, no, <laughs> when they have the dog, and then you walk yeah. by the dog, and if the dog sniffs you, then you don't have to take off your shoes once you get up to the actual, you know, security center. Well, and so now some... And in Europe, it's totally different. There are a couple different uh, types of the, 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 the scanners where your that your luggage goes through, yeah. and your stuff, and... And the older models, they want you know they want you to take off everything in different bed. They want your your laptop out of your backpack and in its own bin to go through. Remember that. Yeah. But now some of the newer machines are different machines that they have at, for instance, at the Reagan Airport in D.C. They they actually tell you to just they want you to leave your backpack or leave your laptop in your backpack, mm. which is fine. But everyone's used to taking it out, and then right. they look at you like you're no no no. How dare you take that backpack? You know they're like we we have someone who took a backpack like, out here. Out of line. What? <laughs> They look at you like like you're an idiot, like you've never flown on a, a flight before, regardless of which way you do it, even though it's arbitrary. It's what, anyway, I could I could truly rant on this. And then if you're over for, the age of 75, I don't think you have to do any of it, do you? You know, do they really? No, because so. every time I feel like I'm in line for TSA, they make some very old person who's like in a wheelchair, like <laughs> hobble through airports just to humiliate them, just to just to abuse them. Because I don't know. Well, pretty soon you won't have. I think the mask mandate will actually go away. I don't think that one's going to last forever on the air. It will also because the airlines want to sell right. wine, and right? Beer. Right. Like that's they make a lot of money selling wine and beer, and they need they also need the the pandemic to ease back into normalcy so that people can start remembering how to behave. Because uh, right. if you remember when we first opened back up, people were wiling out, like just yeah. losing their minds on airplanes and in public and in bars and like just forgot after spending so much time away from people, forgot how to behave. Yeah. And I'm sure they also want to encourage people to fly again. So it's kind of a, it's a right. symbol of it's safe to fly. So come like travel George, again. George W. Bush, go, go fly our friendly You guys flies. ever witnessed an unruly incident on a, on a flight? I haven't. I ha- so I was flying to Vegas one time you a few one years ago. No, it was not caused by me at all. But so, uh, every it felt like everyone on the on the flight was intoxicated when they gotten on it. Not me. I not me. Uh, someone passed out and knocked over um, like my just my diet like fell onto onto my seat onto me knocked over like the the drink I had and passed out into the middle like from alcohol on a plane. This recent. This is like no. It was before right before the pandemic. Oh okay. Um, it was crazy. It was crazy. 
All right. Well, uh, when it comes to funding to testing and treatment options, the White House is basically doing a giant shrug. According to The Washington Post, the U.S. will run out of tests, treatments and vaccines after a $16 billion funding plan tanked in Congress. Free testing and treatments will end for millions in April, while the supply of monoclonal antibodies will end Wait, in May. Running out of vaccines? I don't, that sounds impossible. No, I mean, maybe they're... I mean, they're paying the... No, it's free for people to get it, but they pay. You know, Big Pharma gets reimbursed for the vaccines. Maybe they haven't purchased more. As long as they keep getting reimbursed. I don't know. They have to put in the orders. Yeah. Hmm. I think they're going to keep making... They're, they're always going to be free. They're never... Well, they're going to be, you know, free, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're going to keep... I don't think they're going to have a shortage of vaccines in, the, in, the I don't wealth, actually, in wealthy countries. I don't even think we'll have a shortage of tests. We'll have an abundance of tests. Well, the, the, the thing with the tests, right, is that if you have a wave suddenly, right. that, they're not, that the test makers are not prepared for, then suddenly there's like a rush on tests, right, right. because cases are rising and then they, they didn't have enough. And if there's a variant, an Omicron variant right. that isn't picked, because the antigen tests were already having a problem, some problem with Omicron. And, they are, yeah. And so if there's a variant of Omicron that the, that the yeah. tests aren't picking up. My, I was looking in my closet the other day, and we have like eight tests or something like that. And I was just having this vision of a year from now still having eight tests, which would mean there was no other wave for the next year. I'm just praying that a year from now I look in there and there's tests and they're just still people, collecting dust. People are gonna, I think people are going to stop testing because um, unless we have a variant that causes more death, but as you know, as deaths, as the death numbers fade, the hospitalization numbers crash to nothing. As long as they don't rebound, and they probably, if it, you know, if it, the new variant is not as deadly, even less deadly than what we've seen. Right, so they'll far, do symptomatic gonna, diagnosis like they do with a right, lot of. It's just going to pass into yeah. being yeah. like the cold or like the flu, which is right. It's going to have has. to morph into that in order for us to go back to normal. But probably, maybe this fall we'll find out because that's really when the test will be. Yeah, no pun oh. intended on those tests. Oh. Well, American prospect writer Lee Harris will join us to discuss how frackers and Wall Street are fueling the gas crisis. Stick around for that. Gas prices soared to new highs this week. In fact, the average price of fuel surpassed the 2008 record, making it the most expensive in U.S. history. Rising inflation, coupled with the conflict in Ukraine, has been driving up this cost. As gas nears $10 a gallon, Biden is facing renewed pressure to ramp up oil and gas production to help cash-strapped Americans. Lee Harris is a writing fellow for the American Prospect. In her newly published piece titled Frackers Restrict the Flow, Raise the Price, she dives into how frackers and Wall Street are fueling this crisis, and she's with us now. Welcome to the show. So tell us uh, from, you know, a lot of people will say, well, no, it's just there's other things that are causing the rising prices of gas. Like from your perspective, what is it exactly? Yeah, so we've looked at this and obviously everyone knows that you're paying more at the pump and, and Americans are feeling that day to day. But that money is going to oil companies who are then keeping the private, the, the higher profits and in fact, returning it to shareholders in the form of dividends and stock buybacks. And they're doing that rather than ramping up investment. So essentially, this is a direct transfer of money from American households to oil companies' pockets. Right. But So let's get to the question of whether or not this is a rational decision. So you have a lot of people who watch the industry very closely. You have people that don't watch the industry closely, like Fox News, who will say, just drill, baby, drill, and then prices will go down. But then you have people who 
are either involved with the industry or watch it closely and say, actually, you know, it's, it's not profitable to invest in shale gas, for instance. And that's the reason uh, that you're not seeing investment from Wall Street. Wall, Wall Street is fine to lose money for some certain amount of time, but eventually, after losing money year after year after year, they're going to say, you know what? We're, we, don't, we don't trust this industry to actually be profitable. So where, where, is, the, where is the balance to you? Is, is, is there profitable investment you know, at, say, $100 a barrel or, or less uh, in the kind of fracking industry? Yeah, well, so you need a little historical context to think about this. So there's been this kind of long-running fight during the shale boom between big oil and small frackers. And, of course, I say small frackers, but the wildcat frackers aren't exactly small. They're mostly owned by billionaires with, like, minor kingdoms in North Dakota. But still relatively small frackers. And it's been tough for big oil to keep them in line. So basically, for years, um, they lived beyond their means. They got major cash infusions from Wall Street, kind of because they were selling this story of energy independence and of a really exciting, booming new industry. And every time oil prices went up, frackers that had been living beyond their means and going deeply into debt would increase their production immediately. And the oil majors didn't really like that. They were kind of like, why can't you wait till the prices rise a little more and then we'll all feast? But the oil majors really struggled to impose much capital discipline on them. Uh, and by the way, big oil has the same problem with OPEC, right? Like it's tough to fertilize this, this industry. Um, and that's why oil prices were forever stuck in this kind of shale band. Now, oil investors didn't like those low returns. And, um, and after each run up and crash, they complained. Um, and so uh, and, and it was really regional banks and kind of small investors that got burned each time. But eventually, Wall Street investors wanted to see higher profits, too, like you're saying. So what's happened very recently is with the series of mergers and, and all the consolidation that picked up during during the coronavirus shutdown, uh, they seem to have finally figured out how to impose capital discipline. Um, there are fewer players and, and they're a little bigger. And now that profits are finally soaring now that Americans are paying more for oil and gas. Investors want to see those profits after years of, uh, of really shoddy returns. They want it returned to them in the form of dividends. So what that means right now is well, a new report from this think tank Commonwealth. They analyzed data from Bloomberg and they found that since 2015, the big five U.S. oil companies have paid out 201 billion around that to investors in the form of dividends and share buybacks. And meanwhile, they've actually paid negative domestic taxes. And, and so to put a point on it, yeah. you know, the Fox News crowd will say we need to drill more so that we can push down the price. But if you push down the price, they stop drilling because it's no longer profitable. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's basically right. Um, some people call it so a So what they're strength. calling for just wouldn't actually work if it worked. Like on its own I think terms. that's right. Now, um, now, I think it's telling that this has largely been a fight between Wall Street investors and oil companies. Um, the administration hasn't really gotten involved at a time when he's pushing, putting pressure. You know, the Biden administration is putting pressure on a whole lot of powerful lobbies. He hasn't really pushed on Wall Street uh, to invest further in, in shale oil. Now, that might be for any number of reasons, like um, uh, like a desire to invest more in clean energy, but that hasn't happened very much yet either. So right now it's interesting. So I, I, I mentioned um, the the kind of elevated profits that oil companies are seeing um, amid not paying 
domestic taxes. And in fact, um, just the detail on that is that um, the big five oil companies got around 1.95 billion back in domestic taxes between 2015 and 2022. So that's negative domestic taxes. And over the same period, they paid around 77 billion to foreign governments. Uh, so I think now some lawmakers are starting to ask, why shouldn't the government claw back some of those subsidies uh, that they've been paying into industry that American taxpayers have been paying? And um, Senator Whitehouse and, and Ro Khanna and a couple of others just introduced a proposal to do that. Um, it would be a, a, a tax on the excess profits that oil companies are making right now. So it kind of proposes to claw back the additional revenue that they're seeing or some amount of it and put it back in Americans' pocketbooks. White House press corps, the White House press corps put Press Secretary Jen Psaki on the spot yesterday about the gas debacle and the White House pushing electric vehicles. Let's listen to that. This is a president who always talks about the power of our example. Mm -hmm. Does he own an electric vehicle? Presidents of the United States don't do a lot of driving. He's posted videos where he's revving the engine of his Corvette in Wilmington. He owns cars. And he also has driven electric vehicles as president, as, as to give a model to the rest of the country. Does he own one? I think the president's record on this is clear, Peter. Presidents of the United States, current, and when they are no longer, typically are not doing a lot of driving. <laughs> Which I guess is true. But, you know, it is interesting. It's not like all Americans can just go out and buy a Tesla today and that would solve this problem. Like, a lot of people can't do that. So why, why do you think the administration it keeps harping on the electric vehicle? Yeah, maybe it comes off as a little elitist. I mean, there definitely that clip does. Um, there's a lot of talk about how there are no sh immediate short-term solutions to this problem, and it's true. Like, we haven't invested in either dirty energy or clean energy, so it's tough to immediately ramp up any kind of uh, new energy. But something like a cash-for-clunkers program where the government pays you to trade in your, your old vehicle for um, a new EV could be rolled out immediately. But I hear you. It's... Uh, it's an elitist response from the administration. The other thing to consider, though, is that we've been using um, the Defense Production Act for a number of things like masks and vaccines. There's this new proposal that the White House is apparently considering to help our allies in Europe, uh, which is obviously a key reason that gas prices are going up, um, where it's, I think Bill McKibben has nicknamed it heat pumps for peace. But basically, like, um, we've sent, you know, we've sent Europe in the past packets of milk and food and, and, and other supplies during during crises. Uh, we could easily be sending them clean energy investment and, and uh, invest, investing in bringing down the price of, uh, of fuel for Europeans. So that's something the White House is considering. Hmm. I'm picturing heat pumps being airlifted into Europe. <laughs> <laughs> that's the plan. Or electric vehicles. Parachute, parashuting the heat. The heat yeah. pumps in. Right. Like, uh, they have no idea where to screws, plug in their cars or, you know. We need a yeah. no drive zone, only electric cars. Parachute in the geothermite. I like it. <laughs> I guess we've solved Let's the Ukraine war. Just yeah. like that. Let's do it. Well, Lee, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Ryan. Great reporting. And we'll have more Rising right after this. Actor Jesse Smollett was found guilty for staging a hate crime against himself in Chicago back in January 2019. The judge said that while Smollett wasn't money-motivated, he craved attention and thought he could boost his profile by tapping into the social justice movement. Here's Judge Lynn with the details of Smollett's sentence. I'm sentencing you to 
30 months felony probation, and the probation is going to be to this court. You're going to be allowed to travel wherever you want. You do not have to live in the state of Illinois. You can report by phone. I know that uh, if you're going to try to make a living and do some of the things you do, you may have to go to uh, other uh, places, New York and Los Angeles. You can do those things. You will pay restitution to the city of Chicago in the amount of $120,106. You are fined $25,000, which is the maximum fine. And you will spend the first 150 days of your sentence in the Cook County Jail. And that will start today, right here, right now. But despite the ruling, Smollett maintained his innocence after hearing the sentencing. I am not suicidal. Okay. I am not suicidal. I am innocent, and I am not suicidal. If I did this, then it means that I stuck my fist in the fears of black Americans in this country for over 400 years, and the fears of the LGBTQ community. Your Honor, I respect you, and I respect the jury, but I did not do this. And I am not suicidal. And if anything happens to me when I go in there, I did not do it to myself. And you must all know that. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot weighed in on the ruling saying, quote, the criminal conviction of Jesse Smollett by a jury of his peers and today's sentencing should send a clear message to everyone in the city of Chicago that false claims and allegations will not be tolerated. The city feels vindicated in today's ruling that he is being held accountable and that we will appropriately receive restitution for his actions. Interesting. He thinks he's going to get epstein huh? Yeah, that was, uh, I don't know what he's... Well, he's probably afraid. I mean, going to prison, jail. He's going oh, to jail. He's not going to prison, but horrifying. that's got to be very scary. I mean, it's scary. frightening. Yeah. Horrifying and for I'm anybody. Sure he's, he's probably worried that people will retaliate against him. So it's not necessarily that he's, you know, maybe into some conspiracy, but just thinks that right. people will be angry that he staged this crime and or this... Right. Know, and, and, and among among the many you know, human rights abuses inherent in our criminal justice system is the refusal of the system to root rape out. Like we, we have an entire federal law, the, sure. the Federal Rape, Prison Rape Elimination Act, which is just not at all taken seriously by anybody. It is, it is you know, against international law. It's a, it's a human rights abuse to have a system that is that in which you are so likely to be sexually it's assaulted. It's so not taken seriously like you're allowed to joke about it. Right. It's a, it's a, right. It's a subject that it's, it's a taboo. It's a horrible thing that gets joked about. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's criminal. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, look, I don't know exactly why he needs to go to jail at all. Like, what he did right, was like, bad. Absolutely. You know, we've made fun of him a lot on the show. We've criticized it. He, he's being punished for how, uh, how big the news got, for how resonant the story was uh, at first with... You know, the kind of social justice side of things, how all hate, hate crimes are out of control. Look at this. Even someone like this is being targeted. And, and then it, you know, turned into a, you know, this is part of the kind of lies of someone trying to capitalize on this and smear all Trump supporters as racists, et cetera. So I, I understand certainly the anger at him. Mm -hmm. But I think jail is for people who are a threat to society. We have to lock people up because they might harm you physically. And, and he is not going that. to do that. I mean, so. I agree with that. You know, and that's been my kind of gut reaction to this is just why do we lock people up who are not actually dangerous? Right. But on the other hand, people will make the argument, and I think it's a good argument, which is, well, what about white-collar crimes, right? So these are people that swindle others, they steal their money, and then they don't seem to get any punishment for this. They don't get jail time, They're, so they, they don't have any incentive to stop 
You know, they, what right. do they get? They go and they have house arrest with an ankle bracelet Although, in their nice homes. See, right, that's the argument is that you can only punish though, because fining them isn't really doing anything. But you can only scare them, I guess, by sending them to jail. But I don't know that that it works as a deterrent for those kinds of people. Right. Is the, there any evidence of that? For, for them, the, right, the problem is that you're so unlikely to actually face any consequences that serious consequences don't deter you. So if you were a white collar criminal and you were more likely to face small consequences and sure. small being like lose your home, you have your home repossessed because it was you know, bought by stolen goods, you lose your law license, you lose your SEC license, you, your, your ability to make the kind of money that you were making before is, is taken from you and you're much more likely to have that happen if you're caught, that actually tends to have more of a deterrent than okay, this is illegal, everybody does it, and the one out of a million people that get caught, is they're going to do 20 years. So you're like, well, I'm probably not going to do those right. 20 years. But at the same time, there's something to be said, because if you had all of those types of um, repercussions against you, then you could kind of, you could make excuses as to why that's happened, and you could save face. So there's something to but, be but said. But you can't save your house. Well, but you still could save face. You, you can't could go say, to the country club. But you, you can still say it. to your friends and to your social group, like, right. oh, this, you know, I, I, you know, yeah, I went, I went broke is better than I'm a crook and I'm now having to serve you, time in jail. You can't tell your uh, social group that because you can't get into the places where the social group is hanging out but anymore because you, you can't mean, afford text. it. Text him. Well, but this is certainly the case for Smollett, right? He's not, he's going to struggle to find acting work from now. His parties, reputation... Yeah. Is, is very ruined. He's not going to be cast in major productions. So he is going to be, he has been and, and will suffer serious consequences for what he's done. Right. So I don't know why additionally he needs to be put. I think that's right. Subject well, Amy to Cooper filed a fa fake claim, called the police mm -hmm. on the other Cooper guy. Yep. Not, no relation. Yep. And they decided, you know what, we're not going to put her in jail. Yep. She and lost I, and her I, job. She's became the most reviled person in America overnight. Yeah. I think most uh, people were fine. It's like, okay, she doesn't also need I felt to the go same way her. about this, although it was a little harder with the, uh, uh, what's her name, Lori Laughlin, the, uh, the, the school, yeah. the admissions scandals. Mm -hmm. Right. And that is very wealthy people. So how do you actually punish them for what was reprehensible moral conduct, if not jail? But even so, it's like people who are locked up. You, you, you should only be that's that's just my philosophy you should only be locked up if we have to lock you up because there's a serious risk you're going to harm someone if you're not but then you're only person. locking up people who are dangerous not only dangerous yeah. but then more poor than anything because well, well there's a correlation be between dangerous and poor right the pe people who tend to be down on their luck are maybe having psych psychiatric issues or drug abuse and are more prone to violence so yeah we do but even for even up. for those people 90% of those are so would be better off with very short sentences. Like that's that's I the do. other thing. Yeah. That like I agree with that, but the issue then becomes when I mean this happens a lot, right? When somebody gets let out and they do reoffend, right. some of those, which is not yeah. a common occurrence, but it does happen. Right. But then it makes everyone fear. How was this person back on the streets? They committed this right. crime. weren't they, Why weren't they in jail for the rest of their lives? Even though most people, you're right, but we get very skittish and afraid when it, right. when it does happen. And the same argument for the white-collar criminals also works for many of the others. And, and the, the, what's the name for it? Swift, severe, and certain? It's like, mm -hmm. so right now, if you're on parole or probation, there are 10 pages of things that you can't do. Like, and most people are going to do some of them. And they're just assuming that they're not going to get 
caught because some right. of them are completely outrageous, like violations of your, your just general liberty. Like you can't be around a felon. Well, how, right. how do you know? Like, I don't know everybody's <laughs> criminal background. And so what, what the swift, severe, and certain says is you have a very small number of violations, but if you violate one of them, you're going to get thrown in jail for 24 hours, and you know that for a certainty. And it turns out that if people know with a certainty that this is going to happen, then they stay away from those particular violations. It's when you are asked to gamble, well, am I going to get, am I going to get a drug test on Tuesday? Maybe, maybe not. Will right. the drug test lead me back for six years in prison? Mm, probably not. So, okay, I'm going to do X. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. There's so much that goes into these probations. They're crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of change that needs to happen, obviously. Yeah. But I, at the end of the day, I, I think the big question when it comes to this particular case is, was the sentence too harsh or was the sentence too light? Yeah, I think it was too harsh. I mean, I, yeah. I think it was too harsh. I'm mean, a libertarian. Five months, is, five months is too much. Yeah. yeah. A, a week would be fine. If you're, Maybe if you, a week if you in need, jail. Maybe a week in jail. If you need jail, like the, a week. He'll never forget that. Yeah. Mm. And keep him safe for that week. Like, it's our responsibility. If these people are in our custody, it's our responsibility to keep them safe. Yeah, yeah. and I think he might have been worried about also um, the system lying about it. So something happens to him in jail, and then they cover it up. And they say, oh, well, he... Uh, he was asking for it. He was, yeah, he, well, he committed suicide. I don't know if they would say he was asking for yeah. it, Ryan, but he committed suicide it might be the excuse that they made. The public would say he was asking for it. He the, shouldn't have been there. The, you don't, you know, you don't, uh, don't want to get sexually assaulted in prison, then don't go to prison. Like, that's the, that's, cal that's the caliber yeah. of kind of just... For a lot of people, yeah. I think. Hostility that, that people yeah. have for the... Until they have a loved one that they themselves know that went to jail or prison. But what? This is such a self-inflicted... He faked a hate crime. He was trying to get he famous, and he certainly did that, didn't very, he? So poorly thought out. Such a such a. But tragedy. it worked. I know his name now. I didn't know it before. Yeah. Um. Well, it's... He you certainly made himself more famous. You weren't watching Empire? I wasn't, too. Oh, man. <laughs> That's a good show. Our next guest is a progressive running for Congress in Pennsylvania's 3rd District, and she's doing it without the help of corporate donors. Alexandra Hunt is mounting a grassroots primary challenge against Democrat Dwight Evans and demanding, quote, radical change through policies like universal health care. We need a representative who stands by the needs of the people and champions real change. My opponent campaigned on universal health care, yet failed to vote for Medicare for all. He played a key role in the shifting landscape of education in Philadelphia, setting up charter schools that took voice away from educators and parents and led to further segregation within our school system. He has a history of voting on behalf of his corporate donors funding his campaign, but we need a representative who cannot be bought and works only to serve the needs of our people. We need to reinvest in education and give power back to teachers and parents provide universal childcare, support the Green New Deal, increase the minimum wage, pass Medicare for all, and fight for criminal justice reform. Alexandra Hunt joins us now to take us inside her campaign. Welcome to Rising. Hi, thank you for having me. We've come so long since the launching of that video. It's, it's fun to look back. Yeah, what well, you've you've been exploring this for an awfully long time. I mean, you and I were in touch. How, how long ago when you first started looking at this at this race? Well, 
first started looking probably a year and a half ago, and then we launched last February, so a little over a year. I mean, so how, how is the race going so far? Well, it's definitely starting to pick up, and that has been exciting, and it's also led to an increase in uh, intimidation tactics and, and threats as well. That's what happens when you run against the establishment. But uh, we have brought in a ton of grassroots support, a ton of volunteers from all over our country, actually globally, honestly. And uh, our, our story has really been reaching people from all, all, all corners of the world. And that's been really exciting to be a part of. So what is the big difference you would say between you and Dwight Evans? So is this the person, so you're primarying Dwight Evans, is that right? And yes, so what would you say are the biggest differences and why voters would choose you over going with the same old, same old? Well, my opponent can be quoted for saying that he he does vote and move on behalf of his corporate donors. He's number 37 in the Democratic Party for how much corporate dark money he takes. Wow. And he over 53% of his campaign is funded by dark money. And uh, whereas 100% of ours is funded by grassroots donors. And the purpose of that is so that we only answer to the people. And we're proving that on the campaign trail. And that's exactly how we'll move in, in Congress. I am running on a platform that has some pretty key distinctions, especially in healthcare. As you saw from our launch video, he ran on universal healthcare. I voted for him because of that. And then once he got into office, he took private health insurance money, backed out of the Medicare for All caucus and will not support Medicare for All. In a pandemic, we can't have that. He has also championed charter schools. And while he served in the state house, um, he defunded our public education. And nowadays our schools are really struggling to get by we have a teacher shortage, our buildings are falling apart, and that really hurts our students and our children. And uh, another big distinction is in our criminal justice reform platform. I'm pushing for restorative justice and for rehabilitation. He's pushing for broken windows policing and tough on crime. On the education front, you know, parents have been really, families have been really hurting. Obviously, the education system was one of the most frustrating aspects of the pandemic. Schools being closed so long and masks being required on kids. In D.C., they're still required, actually, uh, when nobody else has to wear them still. So I, I think the, the public school system, there was a lot of failure. It wasn't for lack of money. It was for lack of 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 will to to you know really serve families uh when they needed it so so what you know what is your approach obviously the pandemic's winding down but there's so much frustration among families with what went on in in the school so how are you going to re rebuild is it an issue of rebuilding trust in the in the education system or do you think it's really just an issue of financial resources well, I, I don't think that we can say it's rebuilding trust. I think we have to invest into education and build trust from, from the ground up. I don't think that it was there before. And so, yes, absolutely, we need financial resources, but financial resources can open doors like uh, lowering classroom size and uh, increasing the, the salary of educators and other staff at, at schools. And that can lead to people being able to hold these jobs. And what we're seeing in Philadelphia is is a an extreme lack of 
funding. And it's it there that does lead to a lack of trust from families and frustration, but we're also under resourced and that resources are finances, but they're also staff, they're also materials, they're also safe buildings, and we're we're lacking all of those. So you mentioned that there were a lot of attacks against you and one that I've just got to bring up. This is just outrageous. So People Magazine, you, you've actually been pretty open about your past um, as a dancer. And People Magazine re- ran the story uh, saying, quote, former stripper running for Congress writes about losing a job and sex work stigma. Um, I mean, how did you feel about this piece being run? Were you in favor of this? Was this something that you were like, okay, let's do this, uh, I guess, let's talk about it openly? Or were you, or was this something that was like an attack lobbed against you? I I don't think it was intended to be an attack, but it's definitely not something that they reached out to us about. I, we found it randomly. And wow. uh, yeah, yeah. So that, that was part of it. Also, some of the information where they talk about the race is incorrect. And if they had simply started a conversation with myself, I could have easily clarified that I'm running against uh, Dwight Evans in, in a primary. And so, and then on top of that, the the uh, headline is just dehumanizing. And I think that we need to talk about how media can play a role in dehumanizing those of us with, with stories. And uh, that that's what I tried to point out when I called them out for it that I have a name, I'm a person. Yes, this is one of my experiences, but it's not all of my experiences. And you can come talk to me about it if you want information before you run a story. Well, I mean, if, if you were editing the headline, what would you have suggested to them? I mean, you, ha- you have led with that experience, and I think, right, I think rightfully so. It's, it's, it's something that distinguishes you. It's something that's given you insight into a marginalized community that can then be marshaled to the benefit of, of the entire district. So, I mean, how, how would you have suggested that they frame that in a more sensitive way? I, they could have used my name. And the argument has been that I'm not well known enough to use my name, but that's, again, going into the dehumanization of everyday people, is we, we don't have to be well known to have names and to have stories and to be human beings and to be respected as such. Yeah. yeah, I feel yeah. called out there because we always you we always have these debates and with the copy editors and with the headline writers. Let me know if you do, do too. No it's, like, a, no, it's a real thing. Like, <laughs> has, has anybody heard of this person? And it'll usually be a pretty like it's usually a member of Congress, actually, where, where I'll say Jerry Nadler will be in the headline. Right. And we'll have a copy editor be like, who's Jerry Nadler? I'm like, possibly your congressional representative, actually. <laughs> and, so, and they'll say, well, do you have enough people heard of Jerry Nadler? And then somebody will say, well, put, put Jerry Nadler in the SEO. And I, of course, actively want to dehumanize members of Congress, not <laughs> those NPCs. No, no offense. No offense to, to the office. Once you're of in, then, once you're but, in, then uh, you'll be dehumanized by Not a big fan of Robbie. the government, personally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they definitely could have rewritten this headline to be less dehumanized. I mean, just to start with former stripper, right, rather than saying woman running for Congress uh, talks about her past as a working as a strip, you know, former strip, you know, they, they could have framed it to where they, they led with her being a human being rather than former stripper. And they also probably shouldn't have stuck sex work stigma in the headline. Um, that just right there, again, is I meant bet, to entice. I bet whoever wrote it thought they were being woke. 
Like I thought thought I, they were like because they talked about stigma and sex work. I, but yeah, what, yeah. I don't know. What, do you, were, what 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 response did you get from them? Uh, they have reached out, and I think they are working on putting something together in the form of, of an apology. Yeah. Um, but to 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 your point of of woman running for for Congress, uh, another headline that I criticized was trauma survivor to challenge Dwight Evans, and yeah. it, it's yeah. then. Uh, taking some of my experiences and leading with those instead of my name and the fact that I'm a human being who survived those experiences. Yeah. So I, I think that it's important to use our names. And, well, Alexander and they should have just Hunt talked to you. Challenges trauma <laughs> inflictor, a member of the government. There you go. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <That's> <laughs> there you go. It. Like yeah. flip it on the other guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, oh. they deft, and I mean, in the minimum, they should have absolutely had a conversation with you. Um, so that's why it does feel like maybe this was some sort of a concerted effort to make, you know, maybe one of your opponents, your opponent or the establishment was trying to lob this attack on you. But People Magazine trying to soften it a bit like, well, we can't like just flat out come out and say, oh, look, this stripper's running for Congress. Like, who does she think she is? Instead, they're like, well, OK, let's make it seem like it's relevant to the post Me Too world while also giving every, you know, making everybody question. It just seems like they could have done this a lot differently. I agree. And and I think yeah. they're they're working to to remedy it. But uh, and oh, it's always too late. Who reads apologies? Give me a break. Nobody. <laughs> well, I'm hoping yeah. that it still is clickbaity enough that people will click on it and, and learn about just the, the stigma that surrounds sex work and how media and a headline like that can contribute to it. Right, totally. And the not More reaching out is part you. and the not reaching out is also a journalism industry thing now. There are entire armies of people whose job it is just aggregate. Yeah. I, I bet that person is I, I don't know who wrote the piece, but I would say that thousands of journalists out there don't ever make phone calls because their their job is just to take things that have been published elsewhere Put a new headline on it. Maybe there's an email sitting in your spam box that you received four minutes before the piece. No, these aggregate, aggregators don't even do that. Yeah. Yeah. No. As, I say it, as it a former funny. HuffPost <laughs> right. writer. Well, Alexander, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Thank you for having me and, and for, for inviting me on to talk about it. We've discussed on the show how former CNN president Jeff Zucker unexpectedly left his role at the news network for failing to disclose a romantic relationship he had with CNN spokeswoman Allison Gullist. She has since resigned. This week, more details of his departure have come out, including a non-disclosure agreement he signed, which includes a promise he won't sue CNN and its parent company, Warner Media, in exchange for a whopping $5 million payout. But that's a drop in the bucket compared to the $10 million he'll receive when all is said and done. Joining us now to weigh in is host of the Katie Helper Show and co-host of the Useful Idiots podcast, Katie Helper, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, look, I don't know about you, I would love to get fired from my job <laughs> for $5 million. Uh, we can do it right now, I'm, I'm gone. What's the I'm minimum done. you'd get fired for? Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, well, five, I, certainly I'd take $5 million. <laughs> <laughs> like, like no negotiation. A, a million like, is so much money. Even a million, a million is, yeah, is so yeah. much A million is like 100,000 a hundred times, 10 times? 10 times. Ten but ten it's times. a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'm really bad <laughs> yeah. with numbers. Uh, yeah. What about you, Katie? 
No, I would refuse it. I would just, well, I would refuse the money. No, of course, yeah, it's a great deal. This is, uh, yeah. you know, if only we all got fired or if only yeah. we were all forced to resign with a uh, $5 million. So it shows, package. it's just amazing. I guess they, they fear that he would sue them and they would lose even more money. I guess maybe it's just a drop in the bucket uh, for, for them. But it's a pretty incredible spectacle that you can have to get rid of the head of your organization because of his... Not so much really because of this affair, who cares, but because right. of the complicity, the, the journalistic scandal, the complicity in the Cuomo scandal, and you end up having to pay him $5 million. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Well, it just shows the lack of consequences, once again, that, that are faced if you do something like this, if you engage in a conflict of interest and kind of unethical journalism, and that, you know, you get the sense that uh, the only reason he was uh, forced to resign was because CNN, uh, they, they didn't want him to do that, I don't think, right? Like, they were dragging their feet in terms of doing the right thing. They tended to do that. We saw again and again with the Cuomo case, you know, you had uh, Chris Cuomo apologizing, big deal, for his conflict of interest and in covering his brother's story um, and yet staying on before he was, before he was fired, right? He, he was allowed to stay on. He even said what I thought was very entitled. He said, I'm a family man first, as if that justified basically a corrupt uh, handling of the situation. So I think it just shows once and again this culture of impunity, uh, even when you're forced to resign. And as you pointed out, Robbie, and it's really important, you know, this, the original story was that he had some very con consensual relationship with someone that was an open secret. That, that served, I think, very well to kind of... Um, to lionize him and almost paint him as the victim of this, you know, Me Too movement going too far, going after people who were involved in relationships that were consensual, that weren't really exploitative, didn't have a power dynamic, uh, problematic power dynamic. But then, of course, that's not what it was about. It was really about his um, his participation and and Gala's participation in the Cuomo scandal in whitewashing it. And, you know, just so the median income in the U.S. is $31,000. So it would take some 160, over 160 years, if I do my math right, to earn his, his, his punishment, you know, the consequence that he faced for doing that of $5 million. Did Allison get anything? She didn't get any money, did she? I think I she, she will. did. Did she get any? I think she got a measly... Um, let me check. But I do believe she got a measly $1 million. But that, let that's me crazy. She should, she should be getting Hold more on. than him because he was her boss, right? So, I mean, if anything, she could say, well, I was... Right. I, I mean, it seems like she would have more reason to get more money out of the network yeah, than him. Actually, scratch that because I'm looking for it and I'm trying to figure out how much she got and I don't see it here. She might um, still be... I think I saw it in another article and now I can't call it up, they, they're, but, they, they're together still, right? They're yeah. together. So she can't... How could she? She wouldn't. There's no threat that she sues but, the company for like allowing sexual harassment. Like she's still with it. That would be that would right. be pretty funny it's, to sue yeah. the company for allowing this climate of sexual yeah. uh, misconduct. But you're still dating. But it's it's right, never yeah. it's never about the main thing. And so both Zucker and right. Gallist are both extremely savvy operators uh, who know where all the bodies are buried and have right. a, immense contacts all over the media. And so. Katie, isn't this really about PR? I mean, there there is a price yeah. that you put on bad news. There's a, you know, you know, look, Bill Gates didn't pay Melinda Gates what uh, she wanted out of the divorce. Look what happened to Bill Gates 
in the year after that. Mm -hmm. Like she just absolutely took a sledgehammer right. to the man. Right. And so you love, you love to see it. You love you do love you do love to see it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But th I think so. There's there's a price tag that that outlets like CNN and, and Warner Media put on you know a bad news cycle for them. And clearly, right. that price is higher than five million plus whatever it costs. Because the actual allegations aside, they, they can gin up stories about CNN what, that don't have their fingerprints on them and aren't, aren't even connected to this. And you see this uh, all the time in order to shake down these kinds of settlements, right, Katie? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's true. And also, as we know, uh, there were allegations that Chris Cuomo was trying to gin up stories or was maybe behind mm -hmm. this. So again, I think they're probably trying to cover their their rear ends as much as possible. But again, as you pointed out, it's extremely important to remember that this was not something that CNN did willingly. This is not like they had an awakening of their moral, you know, they found their moral compass. This is PR damage control, um, you know, uh, do, handling doing anything in response to to Zucker or Zucker as his employees uh, like to call him. Zucker. And I and I, and uh, the Zook. And, uh, you know, Brian Stelter was very upset and kept talking about how how Zucker was a, a heat shield for his employees. And Brian Stelter was willing to go to war or he wasn't because he doesn't do war coverage. But other people who, who work for CNN went to war for Zucker. So people are very upset. But um, you say war, everyone's ears prick up at CNN. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, it's a. Yeah. And they actually they were they were told in a meeting. I think we talked about this last time to to kind of focus on their coverage of international affairs in Ukraine instead of uh, understandably the scandal that was unfolding there. Yeah. I still think Allison can get more money out of this situation. Yeah, we got it. Yeah. Hashtag pay Allison. Hashtag <laughs> where's my money. Yeah. I mean, what, what that would be that would be the greatest stereotypical like feminist crusade right now. <laughs> It's not yeah. a fair world unless we make Alison Gallist yeah. a couple million, right? She needs five million bucks if he's going to get six five million, million bucks. Six it's million, true, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Right, yeah, six million. Well, I mean, yeah, look, if, million, what if yeah. they break up? If, if they break up, then she's got a real, I mean, she's got a, a chance to go after CNN and say, well, I was only yeah. in this relationship because he seduced me into it and I felt I right. had to because he was my boss and right. then I stuck with it because by then I was yeah. emotionally involved, like a victim, like mocking, what is that, mocking... Um, the, the syndrome, Nightingale syndrome, so something kind of like that. No, or, no it's a, if, that's when it's a medical, uh, but I know what you mean. But it you're, similar, you're saying, uh, right? It's like a. What a, what a you what fall in love with your kidnappers. Stockholm syndrome. Exactly. So she could go after him for even more money. Yeah, she, 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 you know, I'd be traumatized too. He had me at, he had me at, let's cover up the Cuomo sexual harassment scandal. That was how yeah. he, that's how he seduced her. Those those seductive words. He whispered sweet nothings into her ear, like "Let's help uh, Chris Cuomo cover up." And she up was held captive, society. seemingly yeah. emotionally that's captive. That's feminism, not real right. feminism, for my <laughs> book. But um, that would be hilarious if that was a mo if there was a movement to get her money, more money for helping enable a sexual harasser, a serial sexual harasser. I mean, I can picture the magazine cover, you know, with her with her on it. And, and some story about how the, the inherent sexism of her not giving the getting the kind of payout she really deserves. I mean, that's what I, I right? look if a rehabilitating get profile. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they should be. This thing's going to exist. This thing is absolutely going to exist sometime in the next five know. years. Is, Mike would have yeah. written it in 2014. But. <laughs> oh, Mike. Yeah. Right. Are Mike, they still they, I don't know. 
My, yeah. Oh, I haven't had to think of. There's so many media companies. Too many. Yeah. They're all. Yeah, but again, it 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 just goes to show you that you know there are not consequences for doing this stuff, and that like revolving door between media and the political world and the incestuous relationship between those two spheres is alive and well. Mm-hmm. There are consequences, and those consequences include $5 million. Yeah. So, yeah. Be nice. careful what you do. If you get caught doing the wrong thing, you may be forced to be paid $5 million. Wow. Shoot. Yeah. Well, Katie, yeah. thank you so much for joining tale. us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Last week, local elected officials, advocates, and impacted New Yorkers gathered outside the gates of Rikers Island to demand the release of all people incarcerated there. Fifteen people died in custody at Rikers last year. Horrifying reports detailed hellish conditions of derelict, abuse, violence, drugs, overcrowding, and neglect. This year, one person has already died at Rikers. Tars Youngblood was 38 and a father to three. Alamia Lauren spoke at the rally. She joins us now to tell us why she thinks Rikers should be closed. Alamia is a public defender with New York City legal aid and a political commentator, and we're glad to have you back with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me, y'all. So tell us more about the, about the rally and, you know, why this cause is so important. So I do a lot of advocacy around Rikers, and what I've come to realize is despite Rikers infamy, many people actually don't know a lot about Rikers at all. And actually, because it, because of its infamy, they think that this is this terrible prison for terrible people that have been convicted of terrible crimes. But in actuality, Rikers is a pretrial detention center. Mm-hmm. Anybody in New York City that's arrested and cannot afford bail, they are sent to Rikers. The people at Rikers incarcerated there have not had a trial yet. They've not been convicted of a crime. What they have in common is poverty. They don't have the money to pay their bail and the racial demographics for Rikers are over 90% black and brown people. And so what I realized in the last several years in telling people that information that was really eye opening and seeing the conditions, the photos that came out of people stacked on top of each other in cells. And in the last year, like you discussed, 15 people died. The first person has died this year. So I had the idea if people are, you know, outraged when they learn this information about Rikers, when they learn that it's actually a pretrial detention center, when they learn that $860 million is spent a year on Rikers, what if they saw the prison? What if they went there? So I decided to get buses. I brought it to the Black Attorneys of the Legal Aid Society. What if we got buses and filled them with people and took them there and had elected officials speak? And we did. And on the last day of Black History Month, we took over 200 people to Rikers and we We had a protest outside of the gates and elected officials and namely families of people who have died at Rikers came and spoke and demanded that people be released now. And Alima, there's been a significant rise in kind of left wing kind of pro-criminal justice reform energy in New York over the last several several years. You know, DSA is electing people all over the place to city council, you know, assembly, state senate. Uh, But the response from a lot of those officials so far, at least, to Rikers has been, well, we should close Rikers. Yes. And then it's like, well, Rikers is still open. Like, well, I just said it should be closed. So next question, what what else do you have? Yet Rikers is still open. So is that what this was aimed at, getting people to see that, like, the uh, that you can't just say you want it closed and then wash your hands of it because there there are human beings who are in it, whether you say it should be open or not. 
It's woefully insufficient to continue to say we have a closed Rikers campaign and have the doors open. And it's even worse to continue saying we'll aggressively find out why people have died at Rikers in term, instead of preventing those deaths from happening in the first place. And that's what we've seen repeatedly over the last year. People continue to die. Someone even died. The first person to die of the year died the day before we even held the rally. And elected officials continue uh, to advocate for Rikers. Judges and prosecutors continue to send people day in, day out. Last year, people who died at Rikers, they were there on a dollar bail. Someone died uh, because they were in there on a parole violation for stealing a single bear at the bodega. That is that is inhumane for New Yorkers, New Yorkers who have not had a trial to be dying inside there. And so what we want to see them do is decarcerate now, because although Rikers has been a human, uh, a human rights crisis and it's been declared a state of emergency for years now and its gates have been open since 1932, in the last several years, especially with the pandemic and the rollback of bail reform, they've piled on more people. It's overpopulated. A lot of the guards are leaving, calling out sick days, and the pri the crisis has gotten much worse. The deaths have escalated. The amount of COVID, COVID cases are extreme, namely because they have people packed on top of one another in the cells. They're denying them medical attention. And we're saying, this is, this, is, this is too much. This can't continue. We can't just continue to let New Yorkers die and say, oh, we're sorry. It's a tragedy. We'll investigate. We need to close the doors now. So clearly the cash bail system is a is a giant problem. And you've mentioned that there is some bail reform and but it, you know, the, the place still just keeps getting crowded. Can you give us an idea? Do you have any data on what the average bail is for a person sitting in Rikers today? Like how did you say, well, it's, it's poor people that are not able to to post bail in order to get out to await their trial like wealthy people are able to do for sure. So what is the amount of money a person would need on average and what would do they need to put up some collateral and maybe they don't own a home? And so that's kind of getting in the way, like somebody who needs a dollar bail that seems odd. Why couldn't they scrounge up a dollar? You know, so what is what are the holdups there? Well, the first thing we have to discuss is who is in Rikers. Everybody, majority of people that are even in the criminal system in and of itself are poor people. People that are assigned a public defender for representation are usually dirt poor and no money, no income at all. And a lot of the time they have no family or support system or people to turn to. There are homeless people, people with mental health issues. So what will happen is someone could go to jail on a dollar bail, go to jail on $100, go to jail on $500. But if they have no one to call, no one to post it, no one to turn to, they mm. sit in Rikers and that's what happens. So there are people People who died there on a thousand dollar bail, there are people with much larger amounts of bail, but at the end of the day, the people at Rikers have no money generally at all. Yeah. I think a lot of people naively don't understand that the people in Rikers, there's so many people in the prison system, they have not been convicted, right? It, and yes. and it, it goes to the very idea of innocent until proven guilty. Mm -hmm. People go, well, if they're in jail, they must be, you know, they must have done something wrong. But no, they, they are innocent because they haven't been found guilty yet. But they, they're waiting there for trial, in some cases, just incredibly, extremely long times. You know, can you talk about maybe some of the cases you've seen where people are just, you know, languishing in jail for, for weeks and months and longer, I think, that even than that? I, I've heard cases of, like, over a year of people waiting for trial, right? That, that happens. People sit in Rikers waiting for their trial for years. I represented a man who was released in December, but he sat in Rikers for over two and a half years before he had a trial date. That is what happens. It, it's it's not uncommon. You know, when Khalif Browder, the story of Khalif Browder broke out and that really out shocked the conscience of beliefs of people. Khalif Browder was a 16 year old that was sent to Rikers because he was accused of stealing a backpack. And he sat in Rikers for years before they found out that he was innocent. But years after even getting out Rikers, the psychological effects of that, he committed suicide. But 
what I need people to understand is that's what's happening every day. People go there, you get arrested on a traffic infraction in New York City and you don't have the money for it, you go to Rikers. Mm -hmm. You get you get arrested for any minor offense. If you don't have the money, you will go to Rikers. And that's what people have in common. What happens a lot of the times is people think, you shouldn't do the crime or these people are guilty or this is the next thing or this is about dangerousness or protecting us. But the reality is this. If people have the money, no matter what they're accused of, they can pay for their freedom and they can leave Rikers. It's not about safety. It's about the money. Yeah. That's that's okay. medieval, right? That's, you know, you yes. were caught stealing a loaf of bread and you're going to be in the king's dungeon for the rest of your life. It's that level mm -hmm. of of, of well, yeah, unfair. I heard, I, I, mean, I heard about a guy who was in there for a couple of years for a sandwich. Yeah, like yes. literally a sandwich. Years. Literally a sandwich, and and yes. he wouldn't plead guilty because he was like, I didn't take the sandwich, and so they're like, okay, you can just yes, you can just rot here. Wow. In his yeah. But I think you're right. Uh, people, you know, even myself, I didn't know until Ryan actually here on the show said to, you know, corrected me and said that Rikers wasn't a, a prison. I thought it was a prison because, you know, yeah. I'm over here in California. And whenever anybody hears Rikers over, you know, we're, it's, I'm not clear if it's a jail or if it's a prison or what. But I always thought it was a prison. So when I heard, oh, we want to release people from Rikers and shut it down, it's like a prison. You know, I think a lot of people yeah. think that way, but not realizing that it's actually, you know, the equivalent here in California. In L.A., for example, would be like Twin Towers, which we know is a, a jail and not actually a prison here. But, yeah, I, I think yes. there is a big misconception about Rikers. Yes, that's and that's important why you right. put the info out there. <laughs> yes, right, exactly. exactly. Well, Alimi, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Facebook and Instagram are temporarily allowing posts calling for violence against Russian soldiers, but it won't apply here in the U.S., so don't go trying this at home. The amended rule only applies if you're in Poland, Ukraine, Russia, or several other Eastern European countries, according to Reuters. A media spokeswoman said, quote, as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we have temporarily made allowances for forms of political expression that would normally violate our rules, like violent speech, such as death to the Russian invaders. We still won't allow credible calls for violence against Russian civilians. Posts that call for the death of Putin and Belarusian President Lukashenko were also given the green light. The Intercept reported that Meta will also allow praise of the right-wing Azov Battalion, which was previously and normally prohibited. Isn't this interesting? <laughs> yes, you could call to it, but only if you're in these other countries. I wonder why it is that only if you're in these certain countries. Is it because sometimes in certain languages, like I know in Arabic, for example, death to something is... It, it just means it sucks. Right. right? It's yeah. a typical phrase. So they say, right. death to traffic, death to... Yes. That's all it means. It doesn't actually mean... If like it's a I credible mean, threat yeah. against a specific traffic, then... Then that could <laughs> be right. Then, then, then that's a No, I think they... I don't think that's what they are intending. I, I think they're, their thinking is that it is morally justified to call for death to Russians, right. death to Russian soldiers if you live in those areas. Obviously, right. they had a committee meeting to decide this. So it's kind right. of, it, look, I think it might be perfectly defensible, um, actually. Maybe it suggests that in general, the policies, the policies around what you're allowed to say on Facebook and other social media platforms should be a little bit more permissible than they are now if... You know, all of a sudden there's something like this and they go, oh, wait, maybe it would be okay for so people to uh, say these things. Right. So it's, you're allowed to call for the assassination of a foreign leader or even the, the killing of troops. Right. So as long as you're in one of these countries. Right. And it, it seems like it's the self-defense argument taken to 
the mm -hmm. geopolitical scale. Right. This isn't really self-defense, is it? Well, so Russia. If you're in Poland, so what is it? Poland. Well, well I mean, if you're in Ukraine, Russia's saber rattling at Poland. They're the invaders. They but are if you're the invaders. In any other Eastern European country, which I would like to know that list. So is this like the Baltic nation? <laughs> Before you call for the death yeah, of anybody, yeah. you wouldn't. It's like, did we make the list? Can we do this? Or can get we a, get, get a VPN not? that puts you in Poland. Then so you, you could can do then... it potentially. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this just I, personally, I don't. I, I don't think any call for violence should be allowed at all. I mean, self-defense is one thing, but this isn't really self-defense to say I'm calling for the assassination of a president. That's like saying but that is. That's why every. Every military, every government after World War II re renamed their War Department Defense Department yeah. or Defense Ministry. They were all war ministries, then they became right. defense ministries, and all of a sudden they became imperial. How funny, funny how that works. We had Jason Miller on, remember, uh, to talk about founding Getter. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we asked him, well, what are, what are you going to allow? What are you not going to allow? He said, well, we're not going to allow calls for violence. They're mm -hmm. like, so what about the American Revolution? And he was like, hmm. But that's different. I don't think you can call for violence directly. So you could say, maybe you could so say. So you can't support the American Revolution? Well, no, but I think what you. Well, you can't you, call for. Well. You could say you support the overturn. You could. You right. can support a peaceful overturn of the government or a change in the government. How do you have a peaceful well, we American do it every, revolution? We do it every four years, right? I mean, every four years we vote in a new government. No, but I mean the actual American revolution. Right. That was you not a peaceful. Say, I don't like the Constitution. I want to throw the Constitution out. That's a form of revolution, right? But you can't say, right. I want to violently go and invade and take over with Until guns. you can. Until you can. And until a revolution becomes justified or a defense of sovereign territory becomes justified like going on in, in Ukraine now. That's, that's the problem with them saying that you can't promote violence, especially when the United States of America is one of those violent, is in, insanely violent. Like we bomb people all the time. Right. So just, so it would be like saying you cannot support the policies of your own government. Well, of course you can. You can support right. drone strikes. Well, that's really what this is about is who gets to exercise violence legitimately. Right. I mean, that's right. like the state right. engages in violence. Poli the police engage in violence. But we accept that state-sanctioned violence, some people accept it, not all people, <laughs> that state-sanctioned violence can be justified, can be morally permissible the way just regular people committing violence isn't. That's what the state has a so monopoly so on, they're a sort legitimate of call, use of violence. They're, they're calling this state-sanctioned yeah. violence, right. maybe. But I'm curious if you could call for us to go to war with can we then say on Facebook, sure. we should go to war with Russia? Because People then say that's that all the time. Yeah, but, but that would almost be a violation of right. the rules unless you're in one of these countries. Because by saying, right. I want to go to war, they we should, should be bombing Russia. What we we're getting at is that these rules are really bad. And right. there's no, there's no, there cannot be even enforcement of them because right. they're just far right. too subjective. Really, I, I, like, personally, it should be if it's a crime, then I could understand right. them saying, okay, we don't allow crime. Well, the, the First Amendment... It, you know, it's something that's been litigated for 200 years. We've finally we've gotten to a place where it's pr extremely clearly defined and broadly agreed to, even you know by different ideological people. Somewhat, you know, what is protected speech in a First Amendment sense, and then that limited category of speech that is not like direct calls for violence against specific people, in in which you also include give some indication of when exactly you would do it and how you would do it, right. then it crosses into illegal territory. But it has to have all of that. So just generally calling for, for violence kind of in the abstract, even against specific people, is not going to be illegal unless you say, and well, we're going to do it at 3 o'clock tomorrow and bring knives. Like that, <laughs> then you're getting into illegal territory. Right. Call for a no-fly zone. That's calling for 
violence. Yeah. You're calling for the war at that yeah. point, right? Yeah. yeah. And you're allowed to and call for a no-fly zone. Certainly they shouldn't. Certainly constitutional and would I don't think violates these policies, which again are That'd be funny. Vague. Very, vague, right. vague at best. Well, we also want to get into the latest what's happening on the ground in Ukraine. Several airstrikes have hit airports in western Ukraine today. A new satellite photo also appears to show, show Russian forces closing in on Kyiv. The Biden administration and its allies say they see no clear end to the invasion, according to officials that spoke with the Washington Post. So I hear it's that not they're 10 ending. miles out of the city center at this point. Yeah, it's the not. latest report. So. Russia's clearly not about to give up. <laughs> no, they're not. And I think that they're probably going to end up, I mean, what we might see in the future here is we might see two Ukraines. So it looks like from some of the intelligence reports that are coming out that the goal of Moscow is to actually take anything east of the river. So that would include a lot of these major cities, and that would create this buffer zone between Ukraine, which would potentially at this point join NATO, maybe, maybe not, um, and Russia. And so there's this kind of desire to only take this portion mm -hmm. of Ukraine, divide it up, and call it East Ukraine or whatever. And we'll call it Ukraine and occupied Ukraine. It, would Russia. that end up being a failure of Putin's grand plan if the, if the outcome of this is that whatever remains of Ukraine has no choice but to join NATO? Why couldn't like, they just have, why, a, what? Why why they just have a referendum on this? Yeah. Just vote on it. Yeah. Vote on what? Like, just allow Donbass to, to have a kind of UN-sanctioned, like, referendum. Do they want to be independent? They want to be Ukraine? They want to be Russia? Donbass, I think they want to be independent. Uh, okay. I don't think Russia well, has let, a... Let them vote. Yeah, I think they have a few times, but they're not, it's not being recognized. Well, I mean, they did have the Minsk, you know, accords that allowed for them to have independence to some degree, that the, but then they would send a representative into Kiev and then that kind of fell apart because then they would say, well, no, you're just going to bring Russian, uh, you know, people who are Russian propagandists basically into our legislature. We don't want that. And, you know, so there've been all t sorts of attempts to allow that region to be somewhat independent to some degree, but ultimately it's, they've all failed. It'd be nice to find ways to do this that aren't violent lead to. Everybody likes the idea of referendums until people vote the way you don't want them to vote. Well, that area has been violent for the last, you know, eight years. They There's can also be dangerous, too. Like violent species. Mo violent Mosul, they, they, was it, was it Kirkuk or Mosul, they were going to have a referendum, I think it was Kirkuk, about whether or not they were going to be in Kurdistan, the Kurdish region or whether they were going to be in the Sunni region. And so what they did is it, it led to years of each side killing each other so there were fewer voters. Right. right. And trying to, same with in Kansas when Stephen Douglas was like, let's have Kansas vote whether it's slave or not. So they just, everybody went in and just went to war. Mm. Bloody Kansas. So, so you, can't, you can't get away from violence necessarily just by having a vote because then you just mm. kill all the voters on the other side. <sighs> all right, well, uh, we're going to wrap it up there. That's it for us today. I'll be here in the studio again on Monday, so make sure that you like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss it. Go out and find that podcast. It's on all the different places where you can get a podcast and then give it a five-star review. Give it a nice rating, whether Why you like you? it or not. Look at how cool that looks. Right? That graphic so is cool. really cool. It's so cool you have to listen right. to that podcast. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to listen to it. Yeah. All right, everybody. Have Peace a great out. weekend.